Good evening, church. It is time for us to begin uh, tonight, and I'm glad that you are here tonight. Those who are present physically, those who are online, we praise God for your your presence and uh, looking forward to the opportunity to get back into God's Word tonight. We're going to be in Psalm 101 in our beginning, and uh, we th- I, I, ch- I challenged you last week to think about the word lovely, whatever is lovely, and I had to go back and I challenged myself as well to do a better job than what I had done. So I hope that you uh, have um, information in your mind that you've you found that God has revealed to you uh, for the idea of dwelling on whatever is lovely. Let's go to God in prayer. Fabulous God, most awesome, holy, and true, we, we praise your holy divine name and thank you. We're so thankful to you for being mindful of us, though we are but sinners. We are but dust. And you know that about us. But, oh God, we're thankful that you love and appreciate the fact that we strive not to be sinners, but rather to be those that sin. And we're thankful, Lord God, to know that you remember our sins and lawless deeds no more. That you help us as your children to walk in a manner that's pleasing and acceptable in your sight, and we pray you'll give us the strength to continue to fight the good fight of faith. That you, Lord God, will renew us and re-energize us. That you will bless us to be ready and prepared for the battle to come through the rest of the evening and through tomorrow. We may live in such a way that brings glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Psalm 100, whatever is lovely, things that that favor, this is interesting, self and others, things that are pleasing in motive and in action. So it's not just pleasing to me, but something that's pleasing to others, pleasing always, always to God. That which is acceptable, one might say. Psalm 101 and verse 3, the Bible says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall not fasten its grip on on me. It shall not fasten its grip on me. The idea of hating what God hates and loving what God loves, that which is acceptable. So we should think about loveliness. So. So everything about Jesus in this life, I'm going to go with the generic and then maybe become more specific. Everything about Jesus is lovely. It, the fact that he, he came and he sacrificed himself for us, that he delivered himself for the Father, the fact that, that when he lived and walked on this earth, he, he lived in such a way that he would glorify his father and in such a way to where he would even esteem us in such a, in, in, in a certain way, in that uh, he felt us valuable enough for him to die on the cross. Why would he die on the cross? I mean, if you think about that, the word and the thought of being, of, of this is a lovely thing, it's beautiful. Could you name on, on, on one hand, if you, outside of your family, outside of your immediate family, meaning maybe your your, your wife, your husband, your children. 
outside of your family, maybe your mother or your father, could you name on one hand the people you would die for willingly? And then take it another step, right? Maybe you, you could name those people. How many enemies would you die for? Known, obvious enemies would you die for? And so you go, all right, that one got me. Right? So you think Jesus, when he came to the earth and died on the cross, what's so, so beautiful about this account of Jesus? The loveliness is that I was his enemy and he died for me. And so were you. Each of us were his enemy, and yet, yet he died for us. He exercised kindness, sympathy, forbearance, gentleness. There was this wonderful relationship that he had with the Father that he shared with us. What about our relationships? How many of us have experienced or are experiencing wonderful relationships. And I want to come back to that because I want to, I really want to kind of hold on to that one for, for a minute. But I want you to think about answered prayers. If you think about the answered prayers, all of the lovely, loveliness, the answered prayers that God has brought into your life. And you know, when I, when I make the statement, I listen to the statement and I realize the error in the statement. There's an error in that statement. And it is, I suggest that for a Christian, there are ever non-answered prayers. A faithful Christian. Are there ever non-answered prayers for a faithful Christian? And the answer is no. There are never non-answered prayers. Every prayer of God's faithful child is answered. It just might not be the answer you're looking for. (laughs) Right? It, It may not be what you are looking for or what I desire. And so the question, when you think about this, is when we say, um, we pray to God, we say, God, please help us. Um, this, this comment or question was, you know, brought to me. And I thought, wow, it's a great, great, it's a great topic of discussion. When we say, God, uh, please help us. And we ask for prayers. And then maybe someone's in the hospital or something is going on in our lives. We say, please and we know we want a favorable answer. Not favorable to God, really, technically. We want it to be favorable to ourselves, right? And so when the, when the prayer is answered, what do we say? God is good. When it's a favorable answer, God is so good. Thank you, God. What if it's the answer of no? Is God still good? Think about that, right? And that's the beauty and the loveliness of God, that God is good whether the answer is yes or the answer is no, because both answers are according to his will, and they serve a divine purpose that actually ultimately benefits us in one way or another. Is God still, look at Second Corinthians for a moment. Is God, chapter 12, is God still good if the answer is no? If the answer is no, is it still something that's considered lovely? The, the answer prayer of God. The answer is yes, it's still lovely. If we're here to do the will of God and we come to God in a covenant relationship and we pray to God for something and God's answer is, you're not ready for that right now. So the answer is no. It's still a beautiful blessing from the Lord because the Lord knows what's best always, doesn't he? And that's the thing that we have to really accept within our heart and within our minds. 
Now, I want to go back to verse 6. And I know that you, you know this account very well, but I want us to read it in light of this conversation. For if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall uh, be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one may credit me with, ooh, sorry, <laughs> I don't know what that was, <laughs> with, um, credit me with more than he sees uh, in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness than the power of Christ that the Christ, the power of Christ may dwell within me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What did it take for Paul to recognize that? The thorn in the flesh. It took the thorn in the flesh for Paul to recognize that he's not as strong as he thinks he is. It's a humility, it's a humility, it's a humility aspect of life. The humility of man. To recognize that we are so vulnerable. We don't always think we are, do we? We think we're strong, don't we? I mean, think about that. We really honestly, and yet there's little virus going around, and I call it little because, I mean, you know, maybe it's not a, it's not a, it's not a small ordeal. But this thing is killing the world. It's amazing. Lots of people are dying, but it's just a virus. And there are other viruses besides this virus. And, and, you know, there are things in this life that helps us to recognize and remember that we are vulnerable. We so desperately need God, don't we? Every step of the way. And Paul says, I, uh, I asked God to remove this three times, but God was helping me to learn a lesson. That when I'm weak, that's actually when I'm strong. Because I'm not de- depending on or relying on myself. Instead, I'm trusting in God. And so when you trust in God and we ask God a question and God gives us the answer, though it may not be the answer we're looking for, it is still good. And it's a good answer. And we thank God for it. And God is still wonderful and great and awesome and magnificent and kind and lovely. And God is beautiful. And we have to... Uh, enjoy and rejoice in the fact that God is beautiful. Even when the answer is no, he is just as good. And we should emphatically say, even when the answer is no, that God is still magnificent and wonderful and great and gracious and beautiful and kind and lovely. And so we can meditate on that and know that as Mark 11 and verse 24 says, that when you pray, pray believing that what you ask for, God's already answered it. Pray knowing that God already has our lives in his hands. And he will take care of not only what he's done in the past, he'll take care of our present, and he'll take care of our future. We have to trust that. Right? So let's think about this for just a moment. Uh, back to Matthew chapter 26. Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, prior to that, we, we know that he, he prayed to the Father. I want to go down to verse 30. When you, when you follow the context in 36, we said he's in the garden and, uh, his, his soul is, is, is really distressed. 
in verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and praying, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as thou wilt. Now, earlier I asked you a question. And the question was, what if God's answer is no? Is that still just as wonderful and great and grand as if God said yes? And maybe you agreed. And maybe you did not. Well, aren't you glad that God said no to Jesus? But the reality is, God said yes to Jesus. I'll get to that one in a moment. But but there was no other way. But if you think about it, well, maybe there was another way. But we're not God. So we'll say, there was no other way. But aren't you happy that Jesus Christ died on the cross? I know I am. And you know the answer from a humanistic standpoint to Jesus was, if this cup could pass, the answer was no, this cup cannot pass. And Jesus said, God is good. And he went to the cross so willingly for our sins. Is God still good? Yeah. How do you think Mary and John the Apostle and all the apostles and the disciples, how do you think they felt? What were they thinking about? They were like, wait a minute, God, we can't believe you let Jesus die. Why did, now what, God? We're destroyed. The Romans are going to end, blah, blah, blah. And they didn't realize it was for their own good until Jesus rose from the dead, right? Now, Hebrews has a different slant on the idea of whether or not the prayer of Jesus was heard. Uh, Hebrews chapter um, 5, beginning at verse 5. And the answer is Jesus' prayer was heard by the Father and answered according to the will of Jesus Christ. Remember when you read um, John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world. Jesus Christ is part of the Godhead, isn't he? He's God the Son. And so he also loved the world. And so the love of Jesus sent Jesus to the cross on our behalf. But the man's side said, maybe there's another way. Verse 5, listen to what it says. Hebrews chapter 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Just as he also, that he says also in another passage, thou art my Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. So when he offered up those tears to the one who would save him, how was he heard if he died? Unless we understand that Jesus' life and his death was according to his will as well. So that's the beauty of the answer to the prayer from God to us that may sometimes be no, it's for our benefit and for our good. And so please remember to exalt and rejoice in God when the answer is no, just as you would if the answer is yes. It's easier, obviously, to rejoice when the answer is yes. 
But when the answer is no, God is still good. And that's an easy concept, a very, very small principal thing for us to remember it's easy to remember that god is good in good times but so difficult to think about the greatness of god in bad times and maybe they have a divine purpose behind them the next thought in this idea of lovely that is brotherly love that to me is something i can you know i can grab and say all right, the actions of brotherly love, brotherly kindness, true, genuine brotherly kindness. Not just, you know, not eh, the real brotherly kindness. First Peter chapter 1 and the verses 22 and 23. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. So, imagine this idea of brotherly kindness. Do, do you realize, and I know you do, but how many people were saved during the Roman era, when, 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 while Jesus was alive, and then he died, and then the apostles moved on with the church, do you realize how many people were saved because they recognized the brotherly kindness of these saints? I mean, these brethren would give their lives for each other, literally. These brethren loved each other so much that it was, it was amazing to the Romans and to all those who were around to see that kind of love. They couldn't believe that kind of love. And so they, they defined it in their own way. They justified it in their own way. But many became Christians just because of the love that was witnessed and demonstrated. The brotherly kindness and love that they had for one another. What kind of brotherly kindness and love did they have? Well... Let's think about this for a moment. They went and sold. Remember Acts chapter 5? Everything they had. Brought it. Laid it at the apostles' feet and said, We'll all just live together and share. Yeah. All right, church. Let's do that today, huh? I mean, how many are going to sign up for that one? Right? Amazing love for one another. Whatever is lovely, the Bible says to dwell on these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse verse 17. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly love. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. I want to think about Saul for just a moment. The uh, the saints had a tremendous amount of difficulty receiving the apostle Saul, later known as Paul, because of who he was and what he had done. And it under, I mean, we would say understandably. I mean, you don't know if the guy's going to come into your auditorium and just you know take everyone off to prison, and the Romans are with him, and the, and the Sanhedrin guards are with him, et cetera, et cetera. And they, I mean, we don't know what Paul's going to do. So they were very, very 
apprehend. They were just a little, a little afraid of Paul. Just couldn't trust him. But later they accepted him. They realized that he was truly a saint and that he really believed in Jesus and he made a full turn. And once they believed in him, uh, they embraced him in love and accepted him and did it genuinely. And they forgave him. Can you imagine? I mean, the, the, the burden that Paul, Paul wore on his, on his chest, you know, that I'm the chief of sinners, right? And, and when he would go and he would, stand in front of the mother and the brother and the sister and the aunts and uncles of Stephen was stoned, how he felt and how maybe they felt toward him. But at some point, there was this forgiveness for the sins that Paul committed and the acceptance of Paul in the brotherhood and brotherly kindness that was exemplified. That brotherly kindness was agapeo. But then there's that phileo, also that, that brotherly kindness, that true acceptance of someone regardless of where they're from or what they look like. And just imagine if the church right now exemplified true brotherly kindness in the world. It would blow their minds. They wouldn't know how to handle it. We're in a world of chaos right now, right? This is a time of sheer hatred. You know, the elections are coming up and what's everyone's fear? Who's going to die? All these guys have guns now. They're going to go shooting and it's ridiculous, but it is what it is. But for Christians, we stand with Christ and we hold the cross. And if we exemplify true brotherly love right now, that scripture that says they'll know you're Christians by your love would just turn the world upside down. To let our light shine, to be uniquely different from the rest of the world. Here's our opportunity. Here's our time. Not only here is our opportunity and our time, I think about relationships like Elijah and Elisha. Remember when Elijah was told by God he's going to die? Remember Elisha begged him to follow him? And Elijah's like, well, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm leaving. I'm not, I'm not really going to die. God's going to, he's going to take me. And do you remember the relationship? And Elisha begged him, no, let me go with you. He said, no, you stay here. He said, no, no, let me go with you. And so they just walked on, and eventually God took Elijah up. And he walked back. And he just, like, wow, he's gone. Elijah and Elisha, the closeness of their relationship. Now think about that relationship that, you know, I know in the world today, you know, homosexuality and lesbianism, they try to take it from us, but we're not going to let them take anything from the Word of God from us. That relationship between Jonathan and and David. I mean, that brotherly love, that kindness. I mean, they were true brothers, weren't they? They loved each other. And their relationship with God, they loved each other. The Bible says their souls were knit to each other. I think this is Second Samuel chapter 18. They were, they were so in love with each other. The world doesn't understand it. But we should, right? As Christians, we understand it. It's an amazing relationship, the relationship that, that God has established and that relationship is a blessing to us all and it's something that we could consider lovely. Right? I think about the New Testament apostles. Think about Paul and Silas thrown in prison and beaten but stayed together. I think about the relationships that Christians are supposed to engage in. 
How beautiful it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Isn't it great? You see, that's what God wanted to see. That's what God wanted us to understand. I really, when I looked at this idea of lovely and I thought about it and prayed about it and thought about it and prayed, I was stuck. Because I was like, well, I mean, I, I, and I think maybe I was stuck because maybe I don't see enough of that today. Maybe that's something we ought to work on. To show that kind of love. The kind of love that Jesus displayed toward his apostles, towards the world, that God displays toward us, and that God expects us to display toward one another. A kind of love, a type of relationship that another Christian can sit there in their time of despair and think about how great the brotherhood really is. And not only that, how great the brotherhood has been. Relationships in Christ that are genuine, that are, that are heartfelt, that are magnificent. That's lovely. That's lovely. And in this life and on this earth, while, while we don't have the presence of God in the sense that we don't have Him physically and tangibly here, God said, you have each other. You have each other. And that, that warm embrace, that love, that compassion, that mercy that we display toward one another, not only does it affect us in an amazing way, it will also affect the world. And they'll say, what's wrong with you people? And that's what they're supposed to say, because they don't understand it, right? They don't understand it. And you go back and look through the Old Testament and start in Genesis, and you look at all these wonderful, amazing relationships in God that God has developed. It's amazing when you see the powerful impact that those relationships have on others that are surrounding them. Romans 12, please. So here is exactly what Romans 12 is speaking of. It's speaking of these types of relationships. And I I was going to start, um, uh, you know, a little higher up, but I'm going to start at verse 9 because I just want us to just think about that as we think about, about loveliness. You know, Moses and Aaron. No, just relationships that are God-given. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Brotherly kindness to me is a very lovely thing. It's memorable when you think about how much my brother has done for me and then 
some other brother thinks about how much I've done for them and sister, etc., etc. in life. Brotherly kindness in the midst of chaos is an amazing thing. It will go down in history as one of the most amazing um, humanitarian efforts, they'll call it, known to man, where humans walked alongside each other and did all they could to help another human to not only succeed, but to be safe and happy. And in our stands, to help each other to get to heaven. That's lovely. That's a lovely, lovely thought. He goes on to say to dwell on things that are of good repute. I want to go to Proverbs 22. This word is... This carries the idea of having a good, a good name, and uh, someone that's well spoken of, or, or something that's well spoken of, a, a good reputation, brave, honorable, all those types of of things, a good name. And in Proverbs twenty two, verses one and verse two, the Bible says, "A good name is to be more desired." than riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. How many how many sons can say their father said, son, daughter, I don't care what you do in life, you make sure that whatever you do, you always maintain a good name. Have a good name. You represent God. Remember who you are. A good name is to be desired more than gold. I wonder if that's true. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than a good ointment. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. A good name. All of that verse, that whole verse is so so correct and so true. But a good name. Things that, this is a, kind of the hard part in this idea of, of good repute. Because this extends, it, it almost extends outside of Christianity. Um, we're going to go to Second Peter in just, here in just a second. But it's things that are, are most agreed upon, um, like courtesy. You know, people... Love when a person exemplifies common courtesy. You know, if, uh, there's a, you walk into a door and and there's and there's someone behind you. Instead of letting the door slam on them and you know, you, you hold the door and you kindly allow them to either enter in before you or you you hold the door so they can. come. I mean, you know, it's just common courtesy. Uh, this is that idea of good repute. Uh, in our world today, that common courtesy could also be uh, exemplified as. Kindness, or should I say defined as kindness. And then there's this idea of respect that goes along with it. A good repute for a Christian is a Christian man respects other Christians, respects other people. They show respect because it's honorable and, uh, and, and right. But then there's a respect for parents and the, with this idea that, 
you know, you, sh- you know, we should never find Christian children, you know, <laughs> acting out like that toward their parents because they're showing they have good repute. They're showing a respectful behavior uh, in this in their relationship. It, it's the idea of purity between brothers and sisters. There's this there's this goodness about that, and so. The Philippian writer, Paul, is trying to help us to focus our minds on things that are profitable and agreeable, right? Profitable and agreeable. And so I, I added in here Second Peter. I think, I think it really fits uh, chapter 1. We've read it many, many times. I want to read it again tonight because it's, it's God's word that uh, is demonstrating to us that God has left no stone unturned. And who would ever think that it only takes seven things? You know, who would ever think that? It only takes seven things to be in a right relationship with God once you are a Christian. So once you surrender to God in the waters of baptism and you become a Christian by His grace, it only takes seven things. Uh, And that's it. You know, and and you say, wow. Uh, Now, I would add repentance in there, but that's kind of a given. You automatically know to be... Uh, to remain in this covenant relationship, repentance and confession is always necessary throughout our day. But but it only takes seven things to just really work on. If you were going to go train in a gym, and they say your, your trainer would say, "All right, guys, here we go. Get ready. We got seven things we're going to do today, and then tomorrow we're going to do the same seven things. And we're going to do the same seven things every day until you get these things perfected and right. And then you'll say, "We'll never get it perfected," and say, "Well, we'll be doing this for the rest of your life then." These seven things, right? So, so here's what it says. Verse three. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So, so the first part of this is, that God has left no stone unturned, right? He has given us everything by His divine nature, or from His divine nature, His promises to us, and these seven things fit under, or within this idea, that these are the things that, ex- that helps a Christian to escape the world. What are they? Well, you read them. Uh, we'll start verse 5. Now, for this very reason, also, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. That's it. Seven things. Right? It's all simple, isn't it? So wait, wait. Moral excellence, knowledge, uh, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That's it? Those, that's it? That's all? Yeah, just, just those seven. Seven things. <laughs> That's it. Seven things. For if these qualities are yours and are, this is the next verse, verse 8, and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You just do these seven things. Seven things. So you say, preacher, I'm going to go home and I'm going to memorize these seven things and I'm going to work at these seven, seven things. Right? Seven. Good number. Seven. Complete number. God and man, four, north, south, east, and west, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, seven, complete number. These seven things. Oh, it's great. 
And then he goes on to say in verse 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification of his former sins. You, you know what that is. Don't forget that you were baptized, right? You entered into a covenant relationship with God. And so a man of good repute will forever remember the grace of Jesus. You'll never leave the cross in your heart. And in your mind, you'll never leave it. You'll never set it aside. You'll always remember the covenant relationship, the day that God saved you from this old evil world and from yourself, from myself. He says, you can't forget the greatness of what God has done for you. And then verse 10, it says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, diligent. So you work at these things with all of your strength and energy, right? Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That's in the Bible. Seven things. Really? That's it? Well, Christian, you know, why are you here today? Well, I want to go to heaven. Well, let's see. Let me give you seven things to work on, brother. (laughs) What? Just seven? That's all. Just seven. And then the conclusion of the thought is in verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Wow. Pretty simple, but pretty difficult, right? Because you know, I don't always want to give up my morality, do you? (laughs) Well, yeah, we should. You know, to take my time. And realize that my time that's precious and valuable should be spent in a direct relationship with God. Wow. That's a good thing, right? And and then, you know, after you've worked on these seven and you continue, along the way, you grab the counter scripture. uh, Maybe it's not a counter scripture, but uh, you join together the scripture that, that joins to these seven things. And it's the opposite of the morality issue. Okay? The morality issue is that which the desires of the mind, the desires of humanity. What do we desire the most? Flesh, fleshly stuff. Got to get rid of that stuff, right? Replace that fleshly mindset with a spiritual mindset and add some of these other things along with it. And that will be Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. It is the fruit of the Spirit. What I love about the fruit of the Spirit is this. The fruit of the Spirit is is qualified by God. And I want to explain that for just a moment. Um, it, it, it's not fruits, by the way. It's fruit, right, of the Spirit, although it includes many things. The fruit of the Spirit is qualified by God. Because I can show you, you could do this yourself. You already know this. Look at the, Let's look at it first. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desire. If we walk by the Spirit, let us also walk, live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Excuse me. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So let, let me show you the qualification. The qualifier is this. I'm a human just like just like Hitler is a human. 
I love my children. Hitler loved his children. I have joy in my heart. Hitler had joy in his heart. And I can go down the list, and you go back and you look at all the evil, the most evil, maniacal, and the most difficult situations in your life with evil people, and that evil person still does some, practices some of these things. And it may not be maybe to your level, or meaning, um, you know, you might say, yeah, well, but he didn't love them, love them, or whatever, you know, we can, but, but the idea is he, he loved his children. The qualifier is this. This is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sets your work apart. The Holy Spirit recognizes your work. The grace of God comes in when it comes to your work. So your work becomes a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot have the Holy Spirit. It's not a sanctified, qualified, quantified work. Instead, their work is mediocre. Their work is on their own. Our work is a gift from God, recognized by God. We have walked away from the desires of the flesh. And we now are trying to feed the Spirit. We are living a Spirit-filled life. We are living according to the fruit of the Spirit, doing what God asks and requests of us. And so God qualifies our work in an amazingly unique way. Philippians chapter chapter 1. Now, I'll save the rest of that for another another study. Our time is just about out. Let's read this one verse and finish out um, for tonight. Godliness. Verse 11. Um, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit. through Je- Everything's through Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, it's not even possible. So Christians, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amazing blessings from the Lord. Let us not only dwell on things that are lovely and things of good repute, let us ensure that our lifestyles, that our lives exemplify lovely relationships, things that are lovely and that our name and that good repute is something that can be spoken of about us, that our reputation precedes us. That we live the life of Christ, not just preach it, right? We don't just tell everybody else about it. We set an example for the world to look to and for the world to follow. That's what God expects of us, to be people of the book, both in mind, spirit, and action, right? In mind, spirit, and action, we're people of the book. We don't say I love you. We show our love for each other. And so that the words that we may echo, I love you, have more meaning than just the words of I love you. And that word, that word love has been, has been it's just been almost taken from us. I mean, they don't even mean the same thing anymore. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't even know. Today I got another, you know, one of those, I don't even, I don't even know what it's called. Uh, for, forgive my my uh, my lack of uh, internet savvy, but when you know you, some you you tell someone okay uh, uh, there's a there's an apple tree across the road and then some thing comes back and says so and so loved when you said I don't know some some meme or something I don't even know what it is that comes up it's like love is that really the word we're going to use for that 
and then we say I love God in the same sentence it has to be a different kind of love different kind of love for our brethren well God bless you tonight we praise God for your your attendance and your time and I pray that something was said to encourage you and strengthen you in some way in a moment we'll have a devotional thought and if you have a request on your heart and your mind for salvation repent and come to the Lord or if um, you would like us to pray with you or pray for you you can make that known in just a few moments thank you for your time tonight the lesson is yours God bless you